This is a 20 by 70 podcast extra. If you're someone who, like us at the Committee of 70, expects more from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C., then subscribe to the 20 by 70 podcast on the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you go to binge great audio. Hi, this is David Thornburg, President and CEO of the Committee of 70, Philadelphia's longstanding uh, civic voice for better informed and better engaged voters, uh, and as an advocate for better government here in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. We have an election coming up May 21st. The way we look at it, running for office is a job interview where the candidates have a chance to meet with voters who essentially decide to hire them, fire them, renew their terms, what have you. Uh, and in that spirit, we're conducting a series of job interviews with city council candidates uh, today, uh, at-large candidates. And I'm uh, glad to have with us uh, today Sandra Dungey-Glenn, who is a candidate for Democrat, uh, Democratic City Council at-large, and I uh, look forward to, to talking with her. Uh, just a little bit about her. Uh, she lives in University City. Uh, she is a currently a policy advisor, excuse me, the State Senator Vincent Hughes. Um, she has been involved in a, a number of uh, organizations that support stronger cities and better schools. She was a member of the School Reform, School Reform Commission and a uh, appointee to the Pennsylvania State Board of Education. Um, this is her first campaign for council, yes. so I'm sure it's eye-opening in mm -hmm. many respects. Um, and uh, let, let's dive right in. Uh, first question, I guess, is the most basic, the most fundamental, and the most important. Why are you doing this? Why are you running for hmm. city council? Well, I'm a lifelong Philadelphian, and I've had a chance to see the growth and the change in Philadelphia, and I think in many ways, there are a lot of good things happening in our city. I love the vitality of Center City. I love now the cultural diversity and energy that's going on. But what's really struck me is Philadelphia, from my perspective, is becoming too comfortable with being a city of haves and have-nots. While on one hand, you see, I see a lot of growth, I see a lot of energy, um, prosperity. On the other hand, in communities that I'm familiar with and where I come from in West Philadelphia, I see too many families literally being left behind where their standard of living is going down as opposed to moving up, where with all the change and growth in the city, they don't seem to have any place in it. And that relates to whether there are children in our schools and our schools, public schools still struggling in terms of being able to deliver what we all know should be a 21st century education, whether we're talking about their parents who are working two or three jobs just to try to make ends meet and still slipping behind, whether we're talking about our neighborhoods where people who are very proud of their blocks and being homeowners are struggling to keep their homes up to par and are struggling in terms of being able to pay their taxes and property taxes and maintain their homes, who are feeling um, threatened by the, what we're calling gentrification all over and not seeing that as an opportunity to be a part of something new, but see that as, a, as being shut out from a city that they used to feel was included them. Right. And those are some of the things, and I know that we can do better and we can do something different because I think there is room enough and there is enough um, opportunity that everybody should have a chance to benefit from it. And I think it's incumbent on city government and city leadership to chart a direction and outline the policies that make that possible. And that's really well, what at-large council great. members are responsible for. You said for. the magic word policy, so mm -hmm. that's, uh, which to my mind is, is, is the how question. Uh, points been made over the years, 
we, we rarely disagree on the outcomes mm -hmm. that, that we like, but we have fierce disagreements on how we get how there. We get there. Sure. So what's, what are the two or three things from sort of a policy standpoint uh, that you think would give us the most amount of leverage to uh, Im improve the lives of the kind of people that you're talking about? Well, clearly there has to be a thinking, a rethinking about what we think about op economic opportunities. And that's on both sides in terms of job creation and in terms of business creation and growth. Um, African-American businesses make up less than 3% of the businesses here in Philadelphia. African-Americans are 44% of the po population. There's a big disparity there. So when you think about inclusion and opportunity, even in terms of being able to be viable entrepreneurs in the city, something different has to be done that helps the access to capital, helps with um, availability of contracts and how we think about who and where we're citing our business growth. So that's, that's a piece of it, business. Mm -hmm. On the job side, there has been a call for raising minimum wage to $15 an hour. I think that should be something that we heed because we have to create a better floor for families. Um, and then in terms of access to jobs, from what I've read, we have jobs available. You know, the last report I read, there were about 50,000 jobs, good paying jobs available in Philadelphia. We have about 200,000 of our young and not so young folks who are illiterate. So even with available jobs, if we don't have people ready for those jobs, nothing's gonna change. So I think our city has to make a serious reinvestment in developing our people. Citywide adult literacy has to be that we have to have a network of literacy programs. We have some, but I think we have to grow that and figure out how we create a, uh, a line system using our community colleges or a pre-K to 12 system, colleges and universities, community organizations to carry that out. I think that's a part of it. We have a number of folks we know who are returning citizens that need to be strengthened in terms of their skills. So expungement programs and continuing education. So I think those are some of the um, policy initiatives that even though we have pieces of it, I think we have to do better to align what's out there mm -hmm. and then fill in the gaps in terms of continuing to build a, really a policy framework that addresses job, a, a continuum of job development, job training, employment, job growth, skills development, as well as business development from our neighborhood corridors to bringing in large um, new businesses, right. making sure they're paying livable wages and protecting, pr protecting workers' rights. So those are some of the issues that I think we need to take on. Got it. So let's turn to your, uh, your own experience, your own past. Um, what are the two, three things, the short list of things that you are most proud of that you've been able to accomplish over the years that, have, that have improved the life of Philadelphians or particular communities within Philadelphia? What, what would you like voters to know about your record? Um, well, I've been blessed to spend most of my adult life in public service. I started out as an organizer with a group called Philipposh, Philadelphia area project on occupational safety and health, and that was involved with workers' rights to be safe on the job. Mm -hmm. So training and um, helping workers with contract language. So that got me very involved with unions. I've run a nonprofit. And I think my work at the nonprofit is one of the areas that I would say, because we were working directly in neighborhoods with communities here in Philadelphia, but in other parts of the country, uh, working with returning citizens. And we showed that we could do a workforce and job development program that really did give people skills to go off and get employment. Working with at-risk youth in middle schools and doing a mentoring and leadership development program that really helped them grow and move on to high school and complete high school. So showing that working in communities, there are real answers that you there are, these mm -hmm. things are solvable. So mm -hmm. that was one thing. I think my other great area of um, 
uh, of pride, I guess, is working my work with the school district uh, as a member of the school board, appointed by appointed by Mayor Street, and then appointed to the school me, reform commission. Remind me your tenure. The, um, two thousand. I was appointed by Mayor Street to the school board in two thousand, mm -hmm. and I served on our school reform commission from January of two thousand two till I believe about April of two thousand and nine. Okay. Both as a member of the mm -hmm. SRC and as chair, and during my tenure, uh, we implemented a mandatory. Um, requirement around African-American history be taught in our schools. I think that's very important since the majority of our children are, are um, African-American children in our school district. We also were able to, during those years, um, create a uh, art and music in every school. We put that in through our budget, as well as reducing class sizes. And what that taught me was if you're clear about your priorities and where you're trying to go, then you can align your resources. Even if they're not adequate, you can really make tough choices to make sure that the critical things that you, you believe are needed are getting done. Right. And so that gave me a chance to work with parents and families all over the city, um, from the Northeast to South Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, and uh, we built some new schools even. Uh, my, my elementary school was uh, over 100 years old, so we replaced and built a new Barry School in West mm -hmm. Philadelphia that's serving that community, a new West Philadelphia high school. Mm -hmm. And again, showing the community that change is possible. And I think the message from that is that you're worth it that neighborhoods that are often left out need to understand and people need to really believe that you are valuable too and that you know we need to to give equal and equitable value right. and attention to those communities as as we do other parts of our yeah. of our city so let me turn to you know let's fast forward pretend well, i'm sure you hope it's more than pretend mm -hmm. you get elected city council at large you're one of 17 uh, uh yeah, seven at large 10 district uh members Try to give us a sense of, as you thought about it, like what would, uh, what kind of council person would you be? And, and how does that draw on the roles that you've played in community leadership or other kinds of positions? Because, you know, once you get elected, mm -hmm. there's no particular job description. Mm -hmm. You can be a policy person, mm -hmm. you can be a constituent service person, you can be a you know, you can work more internally in council, mm -hmm. but what's your sense of how, how would you fulfill that role? Well, I think I would be, I will be policy driven, but community informed, meaning that, I, you know, I, I, I understand and I'm very comfortable reading data and understanding best practices. And my experience on the school district gave me a great familiarity with budgets and understanding how budgets are really your, basically your priorities and numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so that part of the job, I think I would be comfortable getting into. Um, I believe that as a council member at large, my responsibility really is to look at the city as a whole and try to pull from all the various issues we have maybe in individual communities, what are the common threads that we really need to address? And so there would be a policy agenda and mine would be moving our families out of poverty, really creating a, a, a better economic floor mm -hmm. for our communities and our families here. And again, that would relate to education issues and job development, business development, um, some work around criminal justice reform. I think Larry Krasner is moving in the right direction. But I, but I couple that with, that still needs to be informed by what's happening on the ground. So I think my organizing background would make me very comfortable going out and talking with constituents uh, all around the city to hear, all right, this sounds like a good idea. But when we really put it into play, how does it work right. in your neighborhood? Right. What would you see? What, would you, what do you want to see out of it? Right. And walking into rooms where sometimes it may be 
uncomfortable conversations, but being comfortable with walking through that. Because in the end, I think people respect you, even if you don't agree with them, when they know you've heard them. And you can come back and say, well, I hear you and what you say makes some sense, but here's some other things you may not be aware of. That that kind of give and take, people really value that. And so I think that would be part of my grounding for counsel. Let me put this to you. Are there, uh, is there a measure, an idea that you would never vote for? Uh, And is there alternatively something that, you know, if you had to pick one thing that you would be bound to determine to to accomplish uh, in a four year period, what, what might that be? So a never and always, if you will. Well, my my intention would be to never vote for regressive taxes Mm -hmm. that really create additional burdens on. uh, We have a lot of regressive taxes. I know, and I and I think that's so. That's why I think we see a lot of what we see in terms of the economic struggles of our families here because we do. The burden is falling on a very limited number of people, um, Mm -hmm. and unfairly because those are usually folks who are least able to exercise their options, right. either going other places or moving or having discretionary income. So I hope I would never contribute okay. to that. That's so how about what, what would you be bound, to, bound and determined to try to accomplish? I'm bound and determined to, to uh, accomplish this focus on uh, what I consider neighborhood-based economic development. You know, I know I'm, I'm known for education, if you would, and that goes through everything that I care about. But this idea of building wealth and putting value back in our communities through a, a much more vibrant business activity. And I think there are opportunities now with something, some of the issues around this qualified opportunity zones and this whole capital that's gonna be coming into some of our uh, cities mm-hmm. uh, through what was something that was done with the federal, federal uh, tax code recently. It's gonna create a lot of wealth and capital coming into cities like Philadelphia. And again, it's gonna be a question of where is that driven? It's either going to accelerate gentrification or it really could be invested in a way that there is a great social cap I- I- impact. Mm-hmm. And I really want to spend time and my energy focused on that okay. because I think that's something that could have a um, transformational impact on a lot of our neighborhoods. Good. Last bucket of things is what we'll call them generally political reforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're concerned uh, and, and I think we hear from a lot of folks, there's a concern that, you know, in quotes that city hall's broken. And that's just not a comment on the people who work there, the processes that happen in City Hall. Mm-hmm. It's City Hall. It's, it's a comment on the political process. Uh, you know whether our, our processes are as open and inclusive and accessible as they could be. Mm-hmm. It involves things like councilmanic prerogative, transparency in council. When it comes to you know, it would be on your watch where we would draw new council districts after mm-hmm. the 2020 census. Mm-hmm. That's been a pretty insular process mm-hmm. that shuts a lot of people out. So which of those do you think is important? Where do you stand? What do you hear? Well, you, I, you're an endorsed candidate by the Democratic Party. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I was endorsed okay. by the policy committee on one day and then um, in the final uh, I guess push or the final slate that was presented to the body. I was not. So that's a new one. Yeah, that's a, that was very interesting. But I will take it that they did and they did support. And I was told that I had the most support among the policy committee. But something happened on the way to the forum. So we won't get into that, uh, really figuring out what that means. But let me just but say just, mm-hmm, that to me, mm-hmm. that's part of, that's, that's an illustration of the problem. problem. Yeah, yeah. I w- In I some agree. places, mm-hmm. people, committee people, vote on endorsements. It's all out in the air. We can see who wins, who loses. There's mm-hmm. none of this kind of last minute 
changing and maneuvering. So, I, you know, and I do think transparency is very important. I think what we see, and we often criticize voters for not being engaged, I think really is a um, very rational decision by them because mm -hmm. what they see is not something they want to be a part of. They don't feel that um, voting has had a direct impact on their lives, even though we know, I think people, those of us involved in government and policy knows that every day there are decisions that are impacting people. They don't see it because of the way it's presented to them or not presented to them, meaning oftentimes it's only after the fact that they even know something is going on. So I think the idea of city council having even more transparency, um, the, I know in the last couple of years, council members have taken the budget process on the road, mm -hmm. meaning that they've gone out in the communities and done it. How we use media, you know, because people are so tuned in now to, to, to social media and digital media, how we can think about using that to just bring it right into your home, yep. you know, popping up maybe even as little ads or spots about, mm -hmm. you know, did you know your highlights from today's city council session? Mm -hmm. Look, thinking about things like that. Um, even now, t I've been off the SRC for 10 years, but people still tell me about those late night um, I think on cable television, they still show well, some of the TV, the late uh, night uh, say, sessions. Entertaining, from, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it always felt productive. <laughs> Maybe not, but um, that people pay attention to things like yeah. that. So I think the idea of, of making bringing government closer to the community is very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be one of the things that, that I would like to, to spend okay. time on and energy on. Terrific. Uh, we've got to put a wrap on this conversation, mm -hmm. but uh, Sandra, thank you for being uh, with thank us you. and sure. sharing your thoughts with uh, everyone we can find out there Absolutely. in uh, the wild world of the internet. Uh, we do have an election coming up May 21st, primary election. So right now, make a plan, uh, get others to make a plan, figure out where and when and how you're going to vote uh, on election day. If you want to know more, uh, turn to our website, 70.org, to take a look at our voter guides. Uh, also, you can download our WeVote app on your phone, which puts in your, the palm of your hands everything you need to know uh, to make yourself a super voter and a super citizen. Uh, thanks again to Sandra Dungey Glenn. Thanks to the Thomas Skelton Harrison Foundation for helping to support this effort. And we'll see you at the polls on May 21st. Hi, this is David Thornburg, President and CEO of the Committee of 70. Uh, Philadelphia's longstanding advocate for better politics and better government. Uh, we have a primary election coming up May 21st. A lot of candidates uh, from Maryland on the ticket, uh, all of whom are out talking to voters. Uh, and what we think of is, is the way of a sort of a, a job interview for democracy. Uh, and in that spirit, we've invited uh, city council at large candidates uh, to come by our, what we're calling our Studio C70, to have a chance to talk to us about their own past, present, and future. And I'm, I'm glad to welcome uh, current councilman, uh, Derek Green. Derek, okay. welcome. Thank you. All Studio right. C70. Studio C70, <laughs> yeah. Uh, relies on, what was that, Studio 54 in New York a while ago. Yeah, well, same, we had Merv Griffin here, same, not far from here, so. The same kind of environment. Okay. But, um, uh, Councilman, I want to start with mm -hmm. the most basic question, mm -hmm. uh, which sometimes gets lost in the shuffle, is uh, you've been elected, so maybe you uh, took one uh, go with that question the second time around. Why are you running for re-election? Well, I'm running for re-election because I believe I have the experience and leadership and vision for a better Philadelphia. Uh, I try to get out of City Hall um, as much as I can every day. And when I get out of City Hall, um, regardless if I'm in North Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, uh, Southwest, Center City, uh, the issue I see the biggest uh, is poverty. 
And so what I've been trying to do as a member of city council is try to address poverty. And I try to address poverty based on my experiences, um, primarily as a small business lender. Uh, many people know I worked for Meridian Bank, uh, professional with a personal touch for those that are still member <laughs> Meridian. Um, but I was a small business lender for, at Meridian at North Philadelphia at the Broadland Glenwood Branch. And so when I was there, I was able to provide access um, to credit for small businesses. And so the legislation, things I've worked on in city government have been around that same perspective. How do we grow small businesses in our city, especially on commercial corridors? Because I believe the best way to address poverty is by growing jobs and small businesses, which from my understanding, the best way to grow jobs is by growing small businesses. And to me, that's the best way to address poverty in our city. Yeah. Every time I walk by that new condo building on whatever part of oh, yeah. Square that so, is, that's where the Meridian Plaza. I know. Where right. Unfortunately, right. you know, a couple of young men from the fire department lost their yeah. life there. Yeah, yep. that was a tragic fire. Uh, so you've been in council one term. I know you had uh, you have experience in local politics. You were with uh, Councilwoman Marion Tasco mm -hmm. before that. I'm just uh, curious. After four years, given your interest in jobs, economic mm -hmm. development, your background as a small business lender, what have you learned about both the uh, uh, the challenges and the opportunities uh, about the role that the city can play in in fostering job growth in the city? Well, the challenges and opportunities, challenges as a member of the legislative branch, not the executive branch, you know, we often can only do things by, you know, introducing bills or pushing ideas and policies. So one of the first things I did within my first couple of months of coming into city council was actually work with the executive branch and the commerce department where we created what's called the Philadelphia Business Lending Network, which is a consortium of about 30 different lenders from large institutions like Wells Fargo to much smaller ones like Fanana to create a one-page application to make it easier for small businesses to get access to credit. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that, you know, which is odd that as a legislator, you can't always do things by passing legislation. Sometimes you have to come up with an idea. And this comes back from my experience as a small business lender, where I was able to partner with the Commerce Department to use our ability as an entity, being the city government, to push this process and allow small businesses to get access to credit by working with lenders. So it was kind of a public-private partnership. So from the perspective that, you know, as a city of Philadelphia, we have limited resources, so we can't always just legislate an idea or just come up with a new policy. Sometimes we have to look at what are some of the entities in the private sector can do, and that's why we created this Philadelphia Business Lending Network. You said you have, uh, you can work in one of two ways relative to the executive branch. You can get nine votes together or 12 votes. Yes, if you or 12 votes. If you need or you can use the good old-fashioned power of the soapbox or right. the bully pulpit or right. whatever. Um, I, I suspect uh, one reason why you're interested in taking another swing in office mm -hmm. is you've got some unfinished business. Mm -hmm. So what, what specific pieces of uh, either legislation or ideas that you'd like to move from your first term mm -hmm. uh, kind of constitute that unfinished business? Well, some of the unfinished business that I would like to really put forward to the voters, and I know these are issues that we've talked about in the past, uh, public financing elections. Uh, we just recently passed legislation to address dark money and clean up uh, some of our campaign finance laws. But really, this whole concept of public financing of elections is uh, something that I started to investigate when I worked for Councilmember Tasco back in 2006, where we had hearings on that. And I've tried to bring that idea to the city of Philadelphia. Now, as you have to get votes through council and through committee, so I'll continue to engage my colleagues. If knock on wood, I am reelected on May 21st. But that's something I would like to have that conversation with the public and see what the citizens of the city of Philadelphia would like to do if they would like to use some of our general fund dollars for public financing elections. I think part of the challenges from what I've seen at a 
federal, state, and local level, people have become disillusioned by the political process. If you look at our turnout rates, and I know Committee Assembly has studied this over the years, we've got to find ways to increase turnout. So if public financing is one way to do that, to get more people engaged, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. And I know uh, there was a lot of conversation when we introduced that legislation and had a couple of informational hearings. But, you know, one, one pushback, which I suspect you heard was, you know, poorest big city in the nation mm -hmm. is this how we want to be spending however much money uh, we were talking about it wasn't a huge amount of money as i recall no, no. Uh, is that what you heard yeah that's what i've heard i mean yeah. when you look at some of the challenges we have in our city from you know, public health issues public safety um some of the current debates we currently have also we're going through election process i think it was challenging to kind of get this bill out of committee uh, my goal is that once we get through the primary and hopefully we'll have additional conversation and also gauge the public more about why this could be a good idea mm -hmm. and really get it on the ballot so we can really hear from the constituents <laughs> in the city of Philadelphia and uh, whether they would like this idea or not. Right. So having been in council for a term, uh, you know, uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on how people, voters, ought to evaluate uh, council people. Mm -hmm. As you said, members of the election, uh, legislative branch, it's a little more difficult than if you're an executive. There's more of you. Right. People don't <laughs> always understand what council people do. Right. And there's lots of different ways to do it. Uh, so uh, I guess I'm sort of asking you to, uh, to talk about the uh, standards <coughs> by which you'd like to mm -hmm. be evaluated and then evaluate yourself. Well, because I worked in city council as a staffer, I take the perspective with my office that no one is too big for any job. So when I would think, I would, hopefully I can be evaluated by the citizens, and that's really what happens on May 21st. It's evaluation of mm -hmm. a job application. I often tell people I'm not so much a city council member, but a city employee working for the citizens of the city of Philadelphia. Hopefully I'll get rehired for another four years. But in reference to how how's my office helped in reference to uh, constituent services issues, replying on issues, how we're engaging in the legislative process in reference to coming with ideas and concepts and moving the ball forward. Uh, some of those issues are difficult to measure, but I think there are certain tangible things that you can measure in reference to um, legislation to introduce the impact of the legislation, as well as how has my office been responsive. And then basic things like meetings. Mm -hmm. um, have you been responsive to meetings? Have you been responsive by way of email? Uh, I try to do a lot of those things on my own, which my staff sometimes gets mad at me, mm -hmm. but I still take that staff mentality because no one is above any role in the city government. Right. And I think we need to have more of that as we engage with the constituents. Yeah. You just mentioned the word I was going to pick up on, which is I'm interested in your thoughts on mm -hmm. how there's a lot of talk about public engagement, civic engagement, community dialogue, community meetings, town halls, whatever. Mm -hmm. My observation is a lot of them don't work very well. Uh, but what have you learned uh, about uh, the, the, the most productive way of engaging with your constituents or residents of the city or, or voters or around whatever issue? I'm just sort of interested in kind of what works and what and what doesn't, right. I guess. Well, when I first ran, I was not a big, you know, social media person. I mean, I would check, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, like an after the Eagles game. Mm -hmm. um, but as I got um, more into this process, and really with some of my um, millennials that worked in my campaign that really pushed me to do more things on social media, and I was amazed. It was actually not so much millennials that were reaching out to me, but some of my church members. Mm -hmm. and my dad is 83. He says mm -hmm. he's not a senior citizen, but a seasoned citizen. <laughs> and so it's actually some of that population that would reach out to me in church and say, listen, Derek, I couldn't get to various events because of health issues or mobility issues, 
but I can file your campaign mm -hmm. through social media. So since that time period when I ran in 2015, I've continued to try to do that through social media. I often do things on um, Facebook Live and talk about the budget and uh, different here. issues. Exactly, Facebook Live. <laughs> so I would do things like Thursday mornings before a council session if there's an important piece of legislation that I'm introducing or when we have an important issue that we may be debating, I'll do a Facebook Live piece and tell people about what's going up or what's coming up down mm -hmm. the pike. Uh, as well as the budget process. You know, when we started the budget, you know, I would do things on Facebook Live to let people know public hearing dates. Uh, these are things we're going to be debating in council uh, to get people more engaged in the process. So right. I try to do those right around 9.30, 9.45 and kind of tee up um, the budget process mm -hmm. and also tee up our city council hearings that are on public access television. Yeah, good. Um, let me talk about budgets for a second. Mm -hmm. It said that budgets are expressions of priorities. Mm -hmm. So my my general observation is that if there's something council or the mayor wants to do, you can, we, within reason, you can find the money in the budget. Uh, if, there's something, <laughs> if there's something that you don't want to do, right. there's no money in the budget. Right. Uh, so what's on your list of, of priorities that you wish we were um, putting more emphasis behind expressed in the budget? Mm -hmm. And then where's the trade-off? Are there things that you think we ought to be spending less time and money on, uh, it, it, money particularly in the budget process? Well, it's always a challenge. I mean, one of the things that I've been concerned about is some of the increase in um, crime in the city. Mm -hmm. uh, so I know the mayor put together a you know, crime agenda. Um, I'm sure you saw the Inquirer poll that came out today. Right. That said right. That's number one in right. people's minds. And that's been number one in people's minds for a number of years. Uh, crime, um, poverty, and education. Mm -hmm. Now, we've made investments on the education side. Uh, last year, we put in through the five-year plan over $600 million. The mayor's proposed another $200 million in this year's budget. On the crime side, I would like us to see invest more in some of the grassroots-based organizations, um, community-based organizations, mm -hmm. similar to back in um, the 70s when we had- Community you know, policing? Well, not so much community oh. policing, but community engagement, okay. uh, non, uh, grassroots community-based organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, back to like in the 70s when we had you know, no gang war in 74, I mean, organizations like the House of Moja that were really kind of violence interrupters mm -hmm. that could try to help stop some of these issues before they occur. Uh, I tend to get around to a lot of different schools, and I remember visiting, um, I think it was either Simon Gratz or, no, it was Dobbins. Mm -hmm. And the principal was saying how they have volunteers that, you know, when school gets out around 2.15, 2.30, if there has been some type of fight or disturbance, they have volunteers that kind of go out into the media community to yeah. try to, you know, stop any kind of continued escalation of some type of violence activity. Yeah. So that type of activity on a more um, citywide perspective, um, we at one point had a program called Focus Deterrence, mm -hmm. which kind of took a very laser-like focus, working on the police department, community organizations to really target those who've had a past interaction um, with the criminal justice system and said, listen, we're gonna give you an opportunity to kind of take a different path, right. but also give you some resources on how do you make that different um, life choice right uh, so those type of things i think will be beneficial if we made those investments on a citywide perspective to address some of the violence in our city yeah more than one law enforcement professional has said that if you leave law enforcement and reducing crime solely in the hands of the law enforcement people it's all over that it has to be a, a shared community responsibility mm -hmm. absolutely as you suggest um, last couple of minutes that we have together, I'd like you to talk about some ideas that we've discussed before, which is around how we can make 
the political process and the process of governing in this city more open, more mm -hmm. transparent, more accountable. We released uh, just the other day what we're calling Philadelphia Resolution 1, which is a sort of a five-point starter plan, uh, things like uh, curbing councilmanic prerogative, um, doing council redistricting when we do it in 2021 mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of citizen input, uh, increasing the transparency in uh, the way council conducts its business and, and the budget process and some, some political reforms and some other things. But what, are, what are your thoughts on that bucket of mm -hmm. issues? Well, a lot of those issues are issues I've supported over the years, either through ideas I've introduced, um, like we talked about public finance and elections, but also what I would like to see and use some of my relationships in other cities uh, through my role as second vice president for Pennsylvania Municipal League or my active role in the large city council for National League of Cities and find out how other cities deal with some of these issues. For example, how does a Chicago or Cleveland or Cincinnati deal with the acquisition um, or disposition of land. Because mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the big issues that's come out yeah. in reference to councilman prerogative. But part of that concern is our charter says that we can only acquire convey land except through legislation. Mm -hmm. So are there other ways that other cities have addressed these issues? And let's not reinvent the wheel, we don't have to. Mm -hmm. So I think these are things that are important. So a lot of the things you talk about in resolution one are important to me, but also some other ideas like I introduced um, the concept of an independent fiscal office, yep. which I think would be beneficial if we can have a third party, third party entity, kind of like we have at the in New York City or at the federal level. Well, it's the, the state budget did office. a couple of years ago. Right, too, exactly. Right, it's like a you know a it's a congressional budget office, but at a local level that could evaluate an idea that comes from the executive branch or the legislative branch and the financial impact, not just on the city budget, but on the city as a whole. Right. Too often when we talk about these ideas, we just look at the cost from a dollars and cents in the budget, but sometimes proposals and initiatives have an implementation cost yeah. or cost to other entities um, in the city of Philadelphia, either the private sector right. or other um, parts of the nonprofit world who may be impacted by legislative ideas yeah. or executive branch initiatives. Yeah. Yep, I'll just say as sort of an editorial comment, uh, as you maybe restate what you said, we spent a lot of time often talking about how much to spend on something, but we don't really end up with a great sense of how that particular initiative is moving the needle or whether there are, it, it brings along other costs mm -hmm. or other challenges in, in implementing right. that. Um, uh, our time's uh, coming up, but okay, uh, Councilor Green, thanks so much Thank for, <laughs> for joining us. As I said at the outset, primary day, May 21st, I know the councilman uh, has that in his date book. Uh, <laughs> If you, uh, if you want to find out more about the candidates, the issues, and the logistics of voting, go to our world-class nonpartisan voter guide at 70.org. You can also download our WeVote app to your phone, uh, which will put in the palm of your hand everything you need uh, for May 21st and beyond. So thanks again, Councilman Green. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you at the polls on May 21st. Welcome, everybody, uh, to Studio C70 at the Committee of 70. Uh, we got a big election coming up. Election day is May 21st, big primary, judicial offices on the ballot, mayor, city council, row offices, um, just, just a really big month. Elections are job interviews. Um, the candidates are job applicants, and the voters are the uh, hiring committee. We have one of the job applicants with us today, yes. Asa Khalif. Thank you so much for joining us. That's good. Asa, only when you're upset at me. Asa Khalif. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. No, no. Yeah, you, I had you, that. You dressed to kill today, so I give you a pass. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. So here, let's let's dig straight into it. Um, yes. Why are you running? 
Well, I think it's time now to run um, because I believe there's a wave of activists who are taking their, um, their fight from the streets to the table. Um, we've allowed career politicians, especially here in Philadelphia, to speak for us. Um, and we trusted them that they would have our best interests and the interests of the people in the city who are suffering. And they go and make deals with big developers and they sell us out. So I think now we are realizing that we're, if we really want to speak truth to power, we have to be at those tables. We have to be at um, those conversations, making, um, you know, real um, deals in terms of um, that it will benefit the people uh, that we rally for. You know, we don't have any trust in these politicians anymore, especially in Philadelphia. I mean, the track record of corruption is, is outrageous and it's generational type mm -hmm. of um, corruption. So same script, different cast. Mm -hmm. So I think we're taking um, a page out of um, this wave now that um, activists can also be advocates and also um, occupy spaces um, mm -hmm. and really rally for the people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're a, you're a very well-known activist in, in Philadelphia and, and uh, have a, a, you know, interesting... Uh, Just maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so that, I mean, obviously that's an asset when you're running for office. Yes. You know, how do you see you know, your, your skills and experiences trans, you know, uh, translating into being a, a public official? Well, I think um, having name recognition is mm -hmm. good also, but mm -hmm. um, definitely having a consistent track record mm -hmm. of fighting for um, issues that um, that are very dear to us, such as poverty and mm -hmm. such as um, school to prison pipeline, mm -hmm. such as jobs. You know, activists, especially in, in um, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we never left our community, you know, so we don't have to put on a suit and tie, no offense to you. <laughs> we don't have to put on a suit and tie and go and reintroduce ourselves as these career politicians have to do. Um, we know Miss Alice. We just pick up where we left off. Yeah. And that's the beauty about um, you know, having this wave of activism and activists really coming and having the courage to occupy these spaces. Now, we know where the, the hurt is. We know who are suffering. They are our neighbors. They are our relatives. They are our godparents. You know, they are our, our elders. We know where the hurt is. So we don't have to go, you know, and try to launch an investigation where the poverty is. We know where it is. Mm -hmm. And the beauty about it is we have a heart for people. I have a heart for people. I have a heart for this city. I have a heart for my community. And I'm not going to sell it out. You know, I have integrity. And that's what activists that are running and myself included bring. We have character and we have a passion that we are not going to sell out our people. We're not going to sell out the citizens of this um, city that are hurting. Mm -hmm. It's a tale of two cities, one rich and one poor. Mm -hmm. You know, we cannot afford any longer to have career politicians making deals with big developers and selling the people out. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to occupy these spaces and truly be a voice for the people. And that's mm -hmm. what I want to do. Mm -hmm. That's what I have been doing. Mm -hmm. The receipts are in the streets. Mm -hmm. They really are. Yeah. So, you know, you're obviously like you're no stranger to politics in this town. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as far as City Hall goes, you've got a mayor and city council and the, the way we elect folks. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think most needs to be improved in City Hall and just how, how our politics work here in Philadelphia? Well, we got to stop playing into politics. I mean, we folks have to really be serious about the role that they play and, and the people that they represent. Mm -hmm. You know, um, again, you need individuals who are occupying spaces with character. And so far, unfortunately, majority of city council people um, don't have that character and they are selling the people out, their community, people who have trusted them. Mm -hmm. I think right now, 
and I'm so excited because I'm hoping that many of the activists and many of the people who are running who are truly have a track record and a heart for people and uh, to serve people are elected. I think you need a body of people who are on the same page who will go in and say, this is a need that we have. This is a hurt for the city. Let's come together and let's make sure Mm-hmm. that we can um to you know to solidify that to to make sure that we can rectify the wrongs um that unfortunately people in the city um have experienced right now you have individuals in city council you know it's cliquish you know my clique is over here i have a group over here and they're divided the only time they seem to come together is when it benefits their pockets you know um and i think we cannot afford cannot afford especially in this election is so so important that people come first you know people have to come first this mm-hmm. city is hurting and i've been in this city as an activist but even now running into this in this um space as a um uh, a candidate it's even intensified yesterday we went to a town hall meeting in, in north philadelphia on by broad and susquehanna mm-hmm. um you hear gentrification you hear unemployment you hear healthcare. You hear, um, you know, there is no uh, funding anymore for youth. Mm-hmm. You know, you wonder why our youth are all out in the streets. They have no other place to go. When we, when back in my day, we had um, POW, we had a Salvation Army, we had rec centers, we had libraries that wouldn't close at three o'clock, you know, or just close down altogether. We had baseball, we had um, activities that were well funded that we could go so we wouldn't have to resort to the streets or to drugs. And we don't have that anymore. You say the children are the future. Well, you can't say that the future because you, Whitney Houston sung it. You have to realize that they are truly the future and you must invest in it. How you deal with crime, you get these young people some hope. Our young people are, in, especially in the city, don't have hope anymore because they know that people are not caring for them, mm-hmm. especially public officials. Mm-hmm. They have to work with the churches now. It can't be, a, you know, these pimp preachers with these big churches about a Cadillac. No, it's about people building a coalition like it was back in the in, in my parents' days and in their parents' days. You built a coalition because Philadelphia is built on families mm-hmm. and neighborhoods. And you can't gentrify that away. You can't break down the family. You know, um, it has to be working with public officials, politics. Um, it has to be working with uh, ministers. It has to be working with uh, even people in law enforcement who truly care about the community and want to work with the community. It does take a village, not the village Hillary Clinton co-op. I'm talking about, and that's saying, I'm saying a true village where people will step in, even if they're not their blood-related children. Mm-hmm. We have a moral responsibility as adults to make sure that our young generation have a chance, and especially black and brown and poor children in the inner city. They have to have a chance and you cannot have people occupying spaces selling them out. It's just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds, you know, some of what you're getting at is, is like the political culture that we have here Absolutely. in Philly, and which, which is not unique to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it spans, it spans Pennsylvania, actually much of the Mid-Atlantic, yes. Chicago and Illinois are very mm-hmm. similar to us. It's, it's insular and transactional, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that can, that, can lead, that can lead to bad decisions and the, the, the public interest not being taken into account. Yes. What would be, you know, some of this kind of, the, I guess I'll turn them structural changes that, that might help with that? Um, the way the way our primary process works, um, term limits. I mean, councilman prerogatives is, is a particular mm. sticky one, but mm. changes in law that might help kind of put guardrails around this culture because culture obviously takes a long time to change. Yes, well, get rid of the the term. Um, definitely, we need term limits. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm elected, my job is to do the best in that space, but also I have a responsibility again to train someone to take my space, right. my spot. Mm -hmm. um, some of these politicians, you got, you know, they're holding on for dear life, you know, and you're not making room for new ideas and new spaces and new people that can come and occupy those spaces who really can bring a different perspective and change, true change. Mm -hmm. And so I'm definitely um, for term limits. And um, and then of course we have to, um, this uh, privilege um, that the politicians have a problematic, uh, what is it? Yeah, council neck prerogatives. It's prerogative. the, the term is, but actually, it, it See, we call it something headline. else. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say it on the live, but sure. yeah, so I don't want to sure. say that, but yeah, yeah. that's what we're yeah. used well, to. Well, for the folks at home in short story, it's, 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 a, it's, it's the power that a district member has over the way yes. land is used. But they're district. abusing that power, and we see it now, even publicly. You know, you're selling land that really could use, um, the money could go for programs, after school programs, um, public school and, and your neighborhood mm -hmm. and you're selling it out to your friends for you know pennies for pennies and you're selling your community out that's that has to stop i think it it was a good idea as a safety net for those um politicians who had character who really wanted to protect the community but now it's kind of like you know pay to play you know uh i have this this privilege this power you give me a little of this and i'll give you this land so we have to, it's been, it's been abused now um, by comfortable politicians and it's time to get them um, out and it's time to reevaluate that whole privilege because it's a privilege. Mm -hmm. And if that privilege is benefiting you and not the people, then it has to be abolished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, does, do you think, is, is, is there some role for these district members? I mean, they, they were elected in that district to have some role in what, in what happens there. Yes, and and how do, I guess, how do we put safeguards around we that? Can, we can, well, first or, of all, sure, transparency, yep. definitely. You can't just go in a dark room, shut the door, mm -hmm. come back out and the deal has been made. Um, and then it takes reporters to have to dig it up and expose you for you to admit it. So it has to be transparency, true transparency. Politicians work for the people. And this is what my grassroots candidacy is, is all about. The people are running this. Um, the people have to reclaim that power now. They've been brainwashed by career politicians that you can't do anything unless, you know, we tell you what to do. We'll, you know, we'll guide you this way. We'll guide you that way. The people united will never be defeated. It's the people's house. They work for us. And with time, and I see you, you see it now, it's a new wave that people are saying, we're tired of the nonsense. They're building coalition from people from all walks of life, right here in this community, right here in this city. And they're taking back their power. They're holding individuals responsible. And they're saying, if you're not um, working in the best interest of us, we're gonna get you the hell out. And we, you know, and we have the power to do it. We have reclaimed our power. Donald Trump races behind his lit a fire under everybody's ass at this point. And we're just saying at this, you know, we're putting all differences aside. And I say this even in my campaign, you know, you know, white, black, Muslim, gay, straight. If you got a 10 day shut off notice and I have a 10 day shut off notice, mm -hmm. we got something in common. Mm -hmm. 
let's get together and pull together and realize why are we in this situation? Why are people losing their jobs? Why is poverty so high in this city? Mm -hmm. You know, people are coming together. Mm -hmm. So if any good has come out of the antichrist that's in the uh, White House named Donald Trump, it's the fact that people from all walks of life are banding together. And I see it in my um, campaign. Mm -hmm. My whole campaign is, is diverse. But I've always been a, an activist who never a pigeonholed myself. I never told my white allies to go in the back. Mm -hmm. um, if we're fighting, I never told anyone to go in the back. If you show up and we're here to fight um, for a cause, then we all need to be on the front line. No one gets a pass and getting in the back in the shadows. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been, you know, the people united, power mm -hmm. to all people. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what you're saying in, in the, um, my candidacy, but it's just pretty much... Um, a different um, space, but it's the mm -hmm. same message. Yeah. So we, we only have a, a few more minutes left. You know, if, if you were to, you know, join the next city council in 2020, what, what would be your, your biggest policy objective, right? You, you know, everyone's going to have a, a limited amount of political capital to vote this out or the other. Mm -hmm. What would be your, your top priority and, you know, how would you get it, get, get it done? I definitely would get, um, start campaigning to get rid of the 10-year tax abatement. Okay. Uh, it's, it's hurting poor people. It's hurting people of color. Mm -hmm. It's hurting our seniors. Um, we have enough, in, we've built enough coalition on the ground mm -hmm. um, where the community are coming together now and we're having meetings now about it. So we have the support from the community and I believe this council will be different mm -hmm. um, after May 21st and I think we really can get it going. Mm -hmm. And you think it's, it's uh, the, the question is, is uh, uh, eliminating abatement, abatement entirely or modifying it? No, whole, I want it gone whole thing. all the, together um, and then we can come back and, and renegotiate something new mm -hmm. that's going to benefit and help new homeowners as well. But we cannot have Big Mama who suffered through the crack epidemic and the violence. And now that your suburban privileged people want to come into the neighborhood and privilege doesn't have a particular color. You can Privilege can be an economic um, status that you have. Mm -hmm. You want to leave the suburbs and come live the high life in the city and you want to come and take over my neighborhood and kick Big Mama out? No, no, no. We can't allow that. Mm -hmm. You can beautify the neighborhood without kicking people who've suffered out. Mm -hmm. yeah. So definitely that's one of my um, top priorities. Get rid of that 10-year tax abatement. Yeah. Got it. Asa, thank you. So thank you. Uh, we are, we're out of time here. Um, Asa, colleagues, well, Conspiracy, you. conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really, thank you. really appreciate you coming on board here. So, uh, you know, election day is May 21st. Uh, Asa, what's, what's your about? Uh, my number is Lucky 82. Lucky 80, Lucky 82 there. So uh, look for 82. Uh, Asa Khalif on the, on the ballot. Also, a, a Committee 70's nonpartisan voter guide at ballot.70.org. Um, also, our WeVote app where you can download that wherever you get your apps at home. Uh, has all the resources you could possibly need for election day. Uh, and thank you to Thomas Skelton Harrison for uh, funding this uh, project. Asa. Thanks again, and good luck on the trail. Thank you so much. Alrighty. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast extra. And as we say in each and every episode of the 20 by 70 podcast, expect more Philadelphia.